Thank you for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. And so in verse 27, it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. Now, this is interesting because Yuri can see the tone of Saul. Why does he call him the son of Jesse? Why doesn't he ask for his son-in-law? He's married to his daughter. He was calling him his son before that because he's his son-in-law. But now he's saying, where's the son of Jesse? And it kind of gives you just a little bit, you know, it just kind of points the trail that he's not too pleased just with the question. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for a family has sacrificed in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So Saul seen David's absent the second day. And it's not a day that you could not eat if you were unclean. Um, David skipped a meal that could be eaten by a ceremonially unclean person, so he should be there. Uh, Jonathan sticks to the plan. He gives the excuse that they've both discussed. He's down there with his family making sacrifice. And so this is what happens in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. He has just insulted his wife. Okay? In his anger, in trying to... You know, zing Jonathan that you must be, you know, a son of a very rebellious and perverse woman. Yeah, that would be your wife, dad, you know. And so, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Saul knows that Jonathan and David are in this together. And he knows that he's covering for David because he has come and defended David a couple of times now. And so he doesn't even trust his own son. And he knows that he knows where he is. Go get him for me so I can kill him. And let's put this out of our way forever so you can be the heir of the kingdom. That you can be the heir of of the kingdom. You know, um, I look at this and Saul appeals to Jonathan with three powerful motivators. Shame. He's trying to shame him, trying to guilt him, and trying to appeal to his greed. This kingdom can be yours. Three barbs sent his way and, and yet Jonathan doesn't respond to that. He doesn't respond to that. Instead, Jonathan stands for righteousness. He knows what God has been calling this nation to be, and it's going to be a nation that's going to be under a man after God's own heart, and it's going to go to David, and he won't do anything to thwart the plans of God. He's just not going to do it. Jonathan just isn't spoken enough of what a great godly man he is, a character that we need to emulate, even when it means being separated from his father. 
knowing that he is going to um, grieve his father. Even though the Bible says to honor your mother and father, you don't do that over and above your honor and your obedience to God. If mom and dad are asking you to do something that is absolutely contrary to the word of God, you're not to obey mom and dad. You're not to obey mom and dad. And you know what? His dad is asking him to kill innocent blood, and that's against God's word. You're not supposed to murder anyone. And so he knows it's wrong, and he's going to stand and do what God says above what his father even tells him to do. It's one of the things that we always have to have this reminder that this was Eli's sin. Eli cared more about his sons being in the priesthood. Even when they were doing evil, he didn't remove them but he cared because he cared more about that relationship, that family relationship, more than his relationship with God. And then God ends up sending who? A prophet to him and says, both your sons are going to die. You're going to die because you honored them above me. And God's told him, he said, I honor those who are going to honor me. Jonathan honors God. I love Jonathan. I love him. And then it says in verse 32, And Jonathan answered Saul's father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? And then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew it was determined by his father to kill David. And so we've already seen Saul throw the spear to try and kill David, and now he's throwing it at his own son. He's so angry. He's so angry. Um, It's remarkable, again, that Jonathan resists all urges to the contrary, and he defends David. And I'm sure he wanted to pick up the spear and maybe even want to throw it back, but he doesn't do that either. And so it says in verse 34, so Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. So he was angry. He was angry. And ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So he actually fasted that day. He ate no food that day, and he fasted that day, and that is the second day. That is the second day. And so he fasted that day. And then in verse 35, it says, and so it was in the morning. And what day is this? Third day. In the morning, that Jonathan went out into the field at that time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. This is now the third day. Um, I would submit to you that this is going to be a different day. This is going to be a, a, a day uh, that is a day of transition in the life of David, much like the resurrection was, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a different day. And it was certainly a day of transition for the disciples and, and everybody who was to follow. It was a day of transition, and this is going to be a day of transition for David himself. David's going to say goodbye to Jonathan forever. He's going to meet him one more time after this, and then he's not going to see Jonathan ever again. And so it says in verse 36, And then he said to his lad, Now run, find the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? So David now knows. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. Who is he saying that to? David. He's saying that to David. 
So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master, but the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And so again, um, by saying make haste, hurry, do not delay, showed the urgency that was in Jonathan's voice. That David was absolutely right, that his father wanted to kill him. And so that was his sign to him. And then in verse 41, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed down three times. They kissed one another, they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants. So he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So they meet there face to face there at the end. Um, David is one that bowed down three times. Um, the greatest number of times anyone in the Bible has ever seen as performing this act in a single encounter where you bow down three times. Um, Jonathan counters David's symbolic expression of subordination with one that implied acceptance as respect as well. They kiss each other, they wept, and then they went their separate paths. Now, a few things that I came across myself as I was going through this and some things that I think are noteworthy as we go through this chapter here. At this point in David's life, as he's leaving, not knowing where he is going, I would submit to you that all the promises that he heard about being king and, and when he was anointed with oil probably never looked like more of a lie to him than it did at this point. He's looking at this going, how can this be? All the circumstances around me, being run out of the kingdom, even having to lead my very best friend. Lord, how could this be leading to the throne? How could this be leading to the throne? And so, at this point, David sees his outward circumstance as a contradiction to the promise God made to him of being king. And no doubt, that began to sink in. I also see here, the stone here, Ezel meaning the stone of departure. This stone is basically declaring David's destiny. In verse 10, David asked Jonathan how he's going to find out about the truth about Saul's attitude towards him. So Jonathan takes him to a field in verse 19 and tells him how David's going to know. I want you to go down to the place where you hid on that day of the deed and remain by the stone Azel. Stand by the stone Azel. For three days you're going to be there. And as you wait there by the stone of departure, as you wait there, that is what's going to tell you on that third day of what it is that you're supposed to do. On that third day. And so he's to go to that field. He's going to continue to hide there for three days by the stone of Zell, and I'm going to shoot three arrows. And he's probably telling him, but stay by that stone as well, because I don't want to actually hit you. You know, I know the stone's right over there. I'll be real close to it, or I'll be way beyond it. You stand uh, behind it. You stand next to it. Um, and so, again, if those arrows go beyond you, it's goodbye until we meet again in heaven, is what he's telling him right there. So three days, David is going to not know his fate, and he's going to have to stand and wait, stand and wait, stand and wait. And so I believe this stone definitely plays a part in David's destiny here, the crossroads that he faces here. It's going to be a place of departure for David, driven by all the pressures of the circumstance of a mad king trying to kill him. 
I wonder, and I don't know this, but I wonder if God is speaking to someone here tonight. Because for each of us, there's a stone of destiny. We see this stone all the time in God's word. We see it in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. When King Nebuchadnezzar has this image, he has this dream of all these world powers in this image. And yet in that dream, he sees a stone not cut with human hands that comes down and destroys all the world powers. And Daniel 2.34 says, You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image of its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. This speaks of the Messiah. It speaks of Jesus. He's destined to overthrow all of our enemies and set up his kingdom here on earth. In Isaiah 28.16, it says, Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 so you can read this yourself. In verse 4, it says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God throughout through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also are appointed. But you, because we're living stones, because we we believe in the living stone, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a royal nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hmm. Jesus Christ is our stone of destiny. If you're in a situation unable to turn this way or that, it could be the fact that Jesus is saying, I just want you to stand. Stand by me. Stand near me. He's inside of you. Just stand by the rock and just wait. Kind of like Ezel. It's a stone of departure that God might be speaking to you and just saying, you know what? An arrow has been shot beyond you. And God is leading you somewhere. And it's a place that isn't going to be familiar. It's amazing to me how often God leads people away from the familiar. It's a crossroads in their life that he says, it's time to depart. And here's the reason why. Because it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. You're going to go into the unfamiliar. And it's going to be very, very difficult. Much like he's going to do with David over these next 8 to 10 years, however long it is, these next few chapters, it's not pretty for him. He's going to have to go through something very, very difficult. And here's the reason why. David had the promise of the throne. You know what? You've been given, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been given the promise of the throne. In Revelation chapter 5, it tells us that we are going to reign with him. But guess what? Before you get 
that purpose that God has for you of the throne, you have a path before you, which is called the cross. David, before he gets to the throne, has to suffer incredibly. You, before you get to be in heaven reigning with Christ, you also are going to have to suffer. Why? Because he suffered, the Bible says. Before you get the crown, you have the cross. And this is a journey that God's calling us out in, and it's a journey that requires faith. Putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Even when all the circumstances around you are just lousy. You know what the promise is. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You have an inheritance incorruptible in heaven. You're here to make his name great. But we like the security of familiarity. He had a crossroad. David did. And he's waiting for that arrow. Am I going to go back to the comfort of palace life? Or am I going to go out in the wilderness? And God called him out in the wilderness. And this is where he's going to learn life's lessons so he can truly be the king that God wanted him to be. I want you to understand something. While you're here on this earth, this is where we learn the life's lessons. It is supposed to be difficult. Because it's these life lessons down here that are going to, in a sense, reward you with the responsibility of what you're supposed to be doing in heaven and his millennial kingdom here on earth. This is a complete testing ground for us. Here on this earth is what tests us and prepares us for what he's going to have us do when we reign with him. And depending on how faithful you are down here is how much responsibility you're going to have with him. And I personally believe that God is probably calling some of you here tonight. He shot an arrow way beyond where you are. And he's leading you out somewhere. Oh, I don't know if it's today. I don't know if he's just kind of stirring your heart right now. But he's leading you out. And it's going to be a place very, very unfamiliar. It's going to be a place where you're really going to have to just, well, rely on the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, it's going to be scary. I've done it several times. But I've got to tell you something. It's the best journey in the world. Because when you're relying upon the Lord, you see God come through time and time again. And there's no uh, greater confirmation in the world than that. No greater confirmation in the world than that. When I have someone come up to me and they said, you know what, I, I just sense the Lord wants me to Go over here and do this. I said, that's from the Lord. Go for it. I'll pray for you. I can't be there with you. You know, it's going to be you and the Lord. And I'm all, you know, I've done it. I'm here for you to cry. I'm here for you to cry on my shoulder. I will be there for you for that. But you know what? I can't replace what God really wants to do in your life. I can't do that. He wants to do that in your life. And so when we go through David's life here from here on out, man, it gets pretty strange. Some of the things he does, you know, as he goes to Gath and, and, and feigns madness before the king there. As he, as he just travels and kind of wanders through the wilderness wondering, what is this all about? And ends up in a cave with 400 other worthless men. Going, this is royalty? This is the training ground 
For royalty, if you want to be a good king, it is. If you want to be a good king. You know, God's word says in Luke 9, 23, and he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross daily and follow me. I think part of this separation, David and Jonathan are going to be separated. David's going to leave Gibeah, go into the wilderness, whereas Jonathan's being called back into the service with his father. David's being called into a place where he's going to deny himself all the time. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to do as well. I might feel one thing, but God's word says this. I get a chance to deny myself of what I feel and do what he says to do. And by doing that, I'm obeying God. And God's word says if I obey him, that that pleases him. If you love me, you will obey me. It shows that I love him as well. In Matthew 10, 37 through 39, it says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Because there's, there's, there's something about denying yourself, saying, Lord, thy will be done. And you know what? Though you slay me, I will trust in you. That life really becomes living, worth living at that point. There's, there's a, a part of life that you exist And then there's another part of life where you really live. And the way that you get to the place where you really live is when you lay down your life. Because when you lose your life for his sake, that's when you really find out what living is all about. Some of us have made the mistake of thinking, this is what life is over here. It's the brass ring. I'm going to go get it. And as you get it, it is so empty. And you're going, how can that be? Because you listen to what the world had to say. But Jesus is the one that says, if you want to live, lose your life for me. And then you'll live. And I'm telling you, that's, that's worth living. Luke 14, says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Ooh. You want to be like Jesus? That's what a disciple is, being someone like Jesus. And so he says, whoever does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. And so that's what you're constantly looking at. Lord, how, how, how am I measuring up with you? Is there some area in my life that you don't have? I guarantee it. We're all like that. And it's a process. Nobody becomes super Christian overnight. you know. But when he reveals that to you, amen, hallelujah. Lord, I'll give this over to you right now. Let's work on this. You know? And you'll find that as you give it over to him, you'll find that you've picked it up, and then you have to give it over to him again, and then you find it in your hands again, and then you have to give it over to him again. That's part of the process. It's part of the process. David has the throne awaiting him. You also have the throne awaiting you. But David, before he can get to the throne, has to go through much suffering. And you know what? Before you get the crown of glory, you have the cross to bear in the person of Jesus Christ. And what's required of that is faith. Believe in God's word above and beyond how you feel. And so David's struggling with that right now. God is going to develop that faith in him in the next few chapters where he's going to have to believe God's word. And yet he's already had some mighty victories, hasn't he? He had faith. He believed that he could defeat Goliath. Not because of him, but because of God had to be with him. 
He's already taken tremendous steps of faith, but somehow this deal with Saul coming after him is really wigging him out. And you know what? God's not done teaching That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.